Welcome back to the One Foot Down Podcast. This is our 43rd episode. I'm Eric Murtaugh, back as your host. Coming off the victory over Navy, I'll spend a little time talking about that game. Um, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on it. It seems like a lot of people uh, on our site and elsewhere are ready to move forward from the game. Um, Not a whole lot to take from the triple option. It's always tough to defend every year. Some interesting things to see with the way Brian Van Gorder reacted to uh, what the middies were throwing at him. Uh, Berger will have uh, some some great stuff on how that played out on Saturday. Uh, by the time you listen to this podcast, you'll probably have read Berger's article, so check that out uh, if you can because it's going to be uh, really in-depth and uh, it's going to be really, really cool and interesting. Uh, Obviously, Bergs loves the option, so it's a labor of love for him. Um, talk a little bit about the playoff poll. I thought about doing a, a podcast last week uh, during the bye week, but I wanted to wait until the second poll came out because I think there's a little bit more talking points available now that we know kind of what the committee's, lo- committee's looking at, uh, what they're not looking at. It seemed like after the first week, we kind of understood pretty well what they were uh, – kind of honing in on. I think most people thought best wins was kind of the way they ranked all those one-loss teams. Come out of the second poll, seems like they threw a couple other things in there. We'll talk about that in a little bit here. So uh, the win over Navy, uh, I don't think it was disappointing. It was a little frustrating game. Uh, You know, I don't really participate in our open threads anymore. Uh, It's just not really my thing. I kind of monitor a little bit here and there, kind of doing some other stuff uh, with our Twitter page and Facebook page during games, and that's kind of tough enough to uh, do all that stuff and watch the game. But, uh, you know, it seemed like Notre Dame was on the verge of blowing Navy out, or at least getting that really key three-score lead. I think two scores is usually pretty comfortable when you're playing Navy especially when you know your offense is going to be able to score pretty much at will. And Notre Dame felt like they were in that mode on Saturday. But then Golson throws that pick. They turn around. They get a quick field goal right before the half. Obviously, everyone knew they were getting the ball. I think that's when the, the, the worry kind of creeped in. You're thinking, well, let's see how the teams adjust in the second half. Navy goes right down and uh, – Marches right down the field, scores a touchdown. Um, it was, so it was 28-17 at half. They come right out of the second quarter. They score a touchdown. 15-play drive, 75 yards. Now it's 28-24. Notre Dame's only leading by four points. Uh, went half hour earlier. It looked like Notre Dame was going to be winning by 21 points and kind of coasting into the second half. Uh, Got to give credit to the Navy in this game. They always play hard when they play Notre Dame. They kind of just played well enough in the first half. I thought the defense was doing okay in the first half. It's weird. They seem to do pretty well on that pitch, on the pitch play. Um, Drew Tranquil kind of shut that down a couple of times, and then it seemed like Navy switched things up. We'll see what Bergs has to say about that uh, if he touches on that in his review. But later in the game, in the second half, they had a couple pitch plays that. There may be like three or four pitch plays that were uh, 
huge gainers for them, I think including on that touchdown uh, run that gave them the lead in the third quarter. I think that might have been another pitch play, if I'm not mistaken. So it's 28-24, and it's in the third quarter. Uh, Notre Dame gets the ball back, and you're thinking, well, okay, Notre Dame's going to go down and score, get that two-score lead, get a little bit more comfort back. As long as we score, as long as we keep scoring on offense, they're not going to be able to catch us. Folson rips off an 11-yard run on first down. Um, things are looking good. A couple incomplete passes by Golson, and then he's sacked um, by basically three players. I think it was at that point where I was kind of thinking, okay, this isn't good. This is this game's turning for the worst. I mean, you had a couple of those things coming together, a, a few moments in the game, a few, few things that played out that were kind of converging into uh, nightmare scenario. I, I, I mentioned that on Twitter, saying a lot of things were lining up for this to be a nightmare scenario. And I think it was at that point where I thought this is a game that Notre Dame could definitely lose. Um, you know, I, I've heard some people kind of agree with me on that. Other people said they weren't really um, – they weren't worried that Notre Dame was going to lose this game. That's fine. I, it's funny. I've been watching Notre Dame games now, I mean, really for the past three years, in a completely different mindset than – at any point in my adult life, really confident in the team, um, not really afraid they're ever going to lose, and that if they ever did lose, that it would be a, a loss that would set the program back a number of years. I think before 2012, it seemed like every loss was just such a big loss. Uh, you know, it's just like even if you'd won three games in a row, you took two steps forward, another loss felt like three steps backward. I think the program is at the point where they can lose a game now and the rest of the country especially isn't going to be like, oh, Notre Dame's a fraud, blah, blah, blah. I think there's a lot of respect now nationally for Notre Dame. But this is the one game where, from a Notre Dame perspective, you could say, well, it's Navy, they play us tough. But I don't think the rest of the country really – understands that or at least they don't really sympathize with that and a top 10 Notre Dame team losing to Navy a four and four Navy team um, at FedEx field definitely wouldn't have been uh, something that I wanted to talk about at all so I was a little bit of I was a little bit afraid of that just because that was a like one loss um, I think down the stretch here that would really just kind of blow everything up blow all the good mojo up that this season is built up that the program is built up so Navy gets the ball back down by four. They come right down, and they score. They move 66 yards in six plays, four-yard rush by Chris Swain. They take the lead. Their Notre Dame's losing in the third quarter to Navy, and um, you know you got to credit the Irish to come right back. There's about four minutes left in the third quarter, and they're losing. Notre Dame comes down and scores a touchdown. Um, Nice 10-play, 7-yard drive, four minutes. That's touchdown run by Golson started out in the fourth quarter. That was that was a big touchdown. They regained the lead. Um, but at that point, you know, it was like, well, it's going to be back and forth. Now you're kind of – you went from 
a situation where Notre Dame just had to keep scoring because they had a two-score lead where now I was looking at, okay, who's going to have the ball last? And I remember doing the math in my head at this point. Navy got the ball with just under 15 minutes left, 14 minutes and 55 seconds left in the fourth quarter. And I'm thinking, okay, they, okay, seven minute drives. They can kind of do that if they want. Are they going to go slow? Are they going to try to hurry up? Maybe get that second possession in. Um, I was thinking, oh man, they're going to get the last possession. Uh, turns out they ended up punting. So that was big. And I think, you know, this was probably the drive that, that, that I don't say sealed the game, but definitely made me feel a lot better that Notre Dame was going to wrap this game up, even though it was kind of frustrating to that point. Golson hits that nice pass to Chris Brown for 46 yards, attack down the personal foul penalty, 15 more yards, and then boom, Terrian Folston runs for 25 yards uh, for the touchdown. So just like that, Notre Dame was back to two-score lead. Uh, it happened so quickly, it didn't really burn that much time off the clock, which was, which was, uh, you know, I remember thinking, I remember even remarked on Twitter, it happened too quickly, that drive. You want to bleed some time off the clock. Uh, you know, those last couple of drives, the next two drives are what everyone's kind of talking about after the game outside of the interception at the end of the first half. Um, you know, I, I don't have a huge problem with it. I I don't really – I think a lot of the blame goes on the play calling in that situation, and I always kind of try to steer away from that. I thought – you look at the set, the third to last drive. It's basically the second to last drive. If you take out the kneel down drive, you know, Folston ran the ball for two yards and then he ran the ball for one yards. Now I like running the ball in that situation. You're kind of inching close to field goal, ter- field goal territory. The, the drive started at the 32. Um, you know, you just stopped uh, Navy in a fourth down. I, that was an interesting call. I thought I expected Navy to go for that for fourth and three from their own 32 um, just because they kind of have to, I think at that point, but I, I thought maybe they could have punted there and at least forced Notre Dame to drive the field again. But um, I guess it, it kind of worked out and it kind of didn't for them. So I didn't have a big, a big problem with that. Those play calls. I mean, you're trying to burn a little bit of clock Um now, going for the field goal, that's another that's another issue, and I'll get to that in a second. So Notre Dame <coughs> ultimately misses a field goal in that drive, um, only takes a minute and 35 off the clock, which was, was frustrating. So now no, Navy's right back into it. And then, boom, Justin Utupo gets a ridiculous interception. I don't think they even showed this on the replay. I don't even know how he caught that ball. Uh, <laughs> it was one of the most uh, crazy interceptions I've ever seen. Uh, so then... Notre Dame gets the ball back at Navy's 20-yard line. And they throw a pass to Chris Brown that's incomplete on first down. I didn't like that call. Um, not too upset about it. I, you know, I've seen a lot of people that were complaining that Kelly didn't go for the jugular on either of these two drives. Um, I think throwing a first down in that position would kind of be uh, considered aggressive. I didn't really agree with it. I thought, you know, he'd been running the ball pretty well all night. Um, burning clock and an inching closer to uh, an easier field goal is just as important, I thought, than you know trying to complete a first down there. So um, that pass falls incomplete. Then Cam McDaniel ran for two yards. Of course, all of Notre Dame fandom pulls their hair out because Cam McDaniel ran the ball once. So that's just life in the. That's just life for Cam McDaniel. Um, you know, 
I even see if it framed that Folson was benched or why wasn't Folson was like benched and he wasn't in the game. But my feeling was it's probably McDaniel was in there for uh, purposes of pass protection. If there was a check at the line, if Golson didn't like the run look or something like that, they may want to make sure that McDaniel is out there providing uh, optimal blitz pickup protection. Although Folson has been doing pretty well at that. Uh, as well lately. And, you know, this is kind of like you never know what's going on in the game. Maybe Folson got dinged up a little bit. Maybe he was tired from the from the previous play. You know, the Navy only had the ball for like a minute and 48 seconds. So, um, you know, that's kind of things uh, we as fans aren't really dialed into all that stuff. So it's not a big deal that McDaniel ran the ball once. Golson on third down, they tried to run a play, and he basically just runs out of bounds for no gain. And then Brinza misses the field goal. The only thing I'll say about this, I'm not really too upset about the play calling on first or second down there. I mean, Kelly's really taking the brunt of that. I thought, you know, you run the ball on first and second down in that series with Folston. I think that's on the players. That's on the players. That's on the line. That's on Folston for not, you know, picking up a first down on those two runs. Uh, I don't think you can pin that on Brian Kelly. I would have ran the ball first down on the, the last drive, but um, or I guess it would be the second to last drive. There was a touchdown drive after these two. Excuse me. So go back. This is the third and fourth to last drives if you count the kneel down. So um, the only problem I have, and, I, and this is probably one of the biggest criticisms I have of just Brian Kelly as a head coach or play caller, in these situations – he almost never, and I really can't think of too many instances off the top of my head, and if I did the research and I almost want to, I would think it would be less than five five times over the past four and a half years that on those two series, you're kind of in field goal range, but it's not really good field goal conditions. You're on a third down. Why not try to run the ball? Run a draw play. You know, do it. Run a counter. Do something to try to set up a more manageable fourth down. It always seems like in that situation, uh, Notre Dame and Brian Kelly, he plays it really aggressive. You know, it's third and seven, and we try to run a bunch of vertical routes and throw the ball twenty-four yards downfield, and oh, it falls incomplete. And then if we do go for it, and we're still aggressive. We do the same thing again. We go out for it on fourth down and try to go for the jugular and, and throw a pass 20 yards downfield and, you know, fit it into a tight window where I think in that situation, and I think, you know, running that ball on third down, and I know a lot of you do this in video games. I do it all the time when I'm playing. You you know you're going for it on fourth down. You run the ball to set up a, a manageable fourth down because you know you're going to go for it, and you're typically going to get two or three more yards and now you're in a fourth and short instead of a fourth and long, and it just gives you so much more, many more options uh, to work with. So I think that's the only frustrating thing that uh, from this, from that, those two series, and just Brian Kelly in general that are that kind of bother me. I, I don't know why we don't really kind of do that more often instead of being aggressive in a different way. I think being aggressive in that in that sense is a little bit better. So. Um, you know, Navy got the ball back again after the blocked field goal. They come down, they score. They do the onside kick, which, oh, my God, almost recovered. So that just added a whole other layer of frustration. 
Um, luckily, Notre Dame comes down and scores a touchdown. Uh, Golson kind of fumbles the ball on a handoff and uh, picks it up and scores as only he can do. So that was the final score, 49-39. Um, I'm not going to really speak a whole lot to the to how the defense played. Uh, I'm not an expert on the triple option like a couple of other other uh, writers. So, uh, you know, just from a stats point of view, it was below average, kind of sort of a bad performance. Um, anytime you give up, you know, 39 points to Navy, that's never a good thing. Uh, 336 yards isn't a strong performance by any means. Stopping Nor- uh, Navy's Russian attack, they threw for 118 yards, which isn't that's not good either. I mean, you just look at everything down the line. Um, got pretty lucky on a, uh, I thought on the interception play, it's kind of a, a fluke interception a little bit. Although it was a nice play to pressure Keenan Reynolds. Uh, you know, they had that halfback pass that oh my god, if that had been completed, who knows what the what happens in this game? But any, at any rate, it's a ten-point win for Notre Dame. Uh, you kind of take it and move on, forget about it until next year when we have to do it all over again with Navy, um, as we will at, until I believe two thousand and twenty-six, hundred years or so, or hundred years on the mark for that rivalry. So that's all. That's all I'm talking about from the from the Navy game. Let's talk about the. College football plo, college football playoff poll. It's kind of a mouthful, isn't it? Um, they just released the second week uh, rankings. Some interesting things. Not a whole lot of stuff is uh, terribly different. I was watching uh, ESPN right before the right before the uh, special came on, and uh, one of the sports and anchors. I was talking to a woman about the fact um, the fact that they're going to be doing kind of a clean slate every week, and the woman's response to that question was, "Well, I don't think you can reorganize Mississippi State, Florida State, and Auburn um, at the top three. And then she kind of questioned whether they're going to be doing, uh, you know, using a clean slate every week, which I don't really think that is the way to look at it. I mean, just because you're going to have a clean slate every week doesn't mean, you know, every single spot's going to be jumbled every week and everyone's going to be moving over over the place. I mean, it's not like wizardry or some other form of like crazy like theorems where there's going to be Mississippi State still remaining undefeated and going down to four because Auburn had a big win over a ranked team. Like they're not going to do like crazy stuff like that. So using a clean slate every week, you know, there's still going to be, you know, a lot of common themes and, and teams staying where they are week to week. Uh, and uh, you know, for the most part, especially in the top ten, I, I I'll go through it. There was there was pretty much. Uh, a lot of stability there. And uh, so I was looking at the teams and, and they, one of the committee members, I don't know if it was actually on TV or kind of leaked through uh, Twitter or whatever, but I just saw it that they said they had the hardest time, you know, with the kind of the bottom of the top, top 25. I think they said 23 and 20, 23 through 25. Um, Wisconsin comes in number 25. 
they're kind of just moseying, moseying their way through the the Big Ten, and they've had some some blowout wins. Um, they've also lost Northwestern, which isn't very good. So, you know, that's about a month ago. So they've they've crushed Maryland and Rutgers the past couple of weeks. They come in at twenty five. They weren't ranked in the first poll. Georgia Tech comes in at uh, number twenty four as well. So they're also another unranked team that slipped in. Those are the only two teams from last week that weren't in the first poll and that they're now in the second poll. Georgia Tech, kind of one of the top teams in the ACC that kind of tells you what's going on in the ACC this year. They've won back-to-back games. They're 7-2. and two. Uh Probably not going to last too long in the in, in the. They might be in the next week's poll. They they play at North Carolina State, but they finish with Clemson and Georgia. So uh, you know that's probably a good year for Georgia Tech if they finish nine and three. That's pretty good for them. Um, West Virginia now they come in at number twenty three. This is very interesting because um, they only fall three spots after losing to TCU over the weekend. Now this is kind of. It depends on your viewpoint or how you want to look at this. Now they lose to TCU, who is in the top ten. So you say, well, you lose the top ten team, you shouldn't fall too far, right? But now West Virginia has three losses. So I'm just doing a quick scan here, and they are the only team with three losses that are still in the in the poll in the top twenty-five. So. I hope I did that right. Yeah, they're the only team with three losses. So, you know, I'll, they have three quality losses, so I guess they have that going for them. They lost Alabama, and they lost Oklahoma, and they lost to TCU. Um, they've never been blown out. I mean, there was a 10-point loss to Bama, 12-point loss to Oklahoma, and a one-point very close loss last week to TCU. So, I mean, that kind of makes sense. Um, but it's just interesting that West Virginia didn't completely fall out of the rankings. Um, Duke comes in at number 22, kind of sneaking their way up these rankings, just kind of doing their thing in the ACC. Um, I kind of feel bad for Duke because they're just they're just not going to ever probably break the top 10, even if they keep winning. And if you look at their schedule, I mean, they're already 7-1, and they have a road game at Syracuse, Virginia Tech, North Carolina, Wake Forest. I mean, it's not it wouldn't be crazy if they finished 11 and one. And I wonder where the committee would put them at 11 and one. You know, this, you would think there's going to be a lot more attrition, uh, you know, within that top 15, but there's got to be five or six, having two lost teams are going to be ranked ahead of Duke. They've even played a single ranked team this season and they probably won't. So that's really going to kill them. Um, they kind of need a, another team or two. Well, actually, I'm kind of looking at the AP polls on the schedule. Georgia Tech is – they beat Georgia Tech. So uh, they have one win over a ranked team, but we'll see how long that lasts with Georgia Tech. Who knows? Uh, Clemson, another team. A lot of these teams are really just kind of hanging around at the bottom. You know, They kind of lost a while ago and slowly moving their way up. Clemson at 21. Stays put there in 21 last week. Georgia, a uh, little bit of a surprise. They fell nine spots, which is the most out of anyone this week. 
with their terrible, terrible, oh so terrible loss to Florida over the weekend, just got completely annihilated and embarrassed. Um, most people I thought just kind of off the cuff thought that Georgia was going to completely follow the rankings. It seemed to make sense. Um, but after looking at it, you know, you look at it and say, well, there's a lot of teams out there with already three losses and there's still a decent amount of teams with two losses. And a lot of those teams really aren't good. I mean, you know, we get into subjective territory. Oh, well, who's good. Who's not. But you know, if you, don't really take into account the recency bias. And let's say Georgia had lost that game to Florida in the in week three or something, and now they're they've won six in a row or something like that. Would they still be ranked? And would we think it would be that crazy? Probably not. So, you know, Georgia only has two losses. They have a close loss at South Carolina, which is looking worse and worse as the season goes on. And they have this bad loss to Florida. They have two bad losses. But they're six and two, and at some point you have to say, well, who's going to be ranked ahead of them? And so, Arizona's in in at nineteen. They fall seven spots after losing this past weekend to UCLA. UCLA's the team right above them at eighteen. I thought UCLA was going to be a little bit higher than this. They only moved up four spots. I've made no bones about it before on the podcast. I don't really like UCLA at all, but you know, there's one of those teams where. You know, a lot of college football pan, college football fans, excuse me, watch a team play, and there's really no excuses for UCLA. They just did not look good at all um, in the first month of the season. I mean, they barely beat Virginia. They sneak by Memphis. They sneak by Texas. Um, then they have this really super weird blowout win over Arizona State. I talk about that in my AS, ASU preview on Thursday. That was just a really wacky crazy game and you know but that's you know they have a, a, a win over a top 12 team right now so that's more than Notre Dame can say then they lose uh, a couple relatively close games to Utah and Oregon um, I think they scored a bunch of garbage time minutes in that Oregon game so that one is about as close as the score appeared but they've won three games since then barely beat California they barely beat Colorado so you know everyone's like well UCLA is terrible. I mean, everybody loves to say terrible. Everybody loves to use the word terrible. If you watch a game, oh, this conference is terrible. This team's terrible. I mean, I watch, listen, and and see people talking about all these other teams. It's like, there's, is there any good teams in the country? But you know, UCLA beats Arizona. Now they have two wins. They beat both Arizona schools. They have two wins over ranked teams. They're still seven and two, and now you got to look out. They got a game at Washington, which isn't going to be easy. Washington's got a tough D, um, never easy to win up in Seattle, and then they finish with Southern California and Stanford. Now, preseason, that looked like a really tough finish for UCLA, but like I said, kind of with like Duke, would it be crazy if UCLA finished ten and two? Maybe, maybe not. You know, I could see them probably finishing nine and three, and who knows what kind of bull um, prospects that would give them. So UCLA kind of hanging around. I thought they'd be a little bit higher with those two uh, ranked wins, but I guess kind of that blowout loss to Oregon um, is affecting them a little bit more than uh, than I would think. Utah is at seventeen. They lost another uh, interesting one here. They lose. 
over the weekend to Arizona State, and they stay put at 17th. Um, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't really know. Like, I don't know why UCLA wouldn't be ahead of Utah. So, um, yeah, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. I guess because they lost to, I guess they did the head-to-head competition there, and you say lost to Utah, so they didn't bump them ahead. So, that's kind of one of your inst- instances where, you know, one team has. Both teams have two losses, but you know, I, you look at best wins. We thought best wins was kind of the the big thing to go on, and UCLA has two to Utah's one. So, I guess that's not the be all end all as far as the committee's concerned. So, use uh, LSU's at sixteen. They moved up three spots. Uh, they'll have plenty of opportunities in SEC West to move up. Oklahoma's at fifteen. They move up three spots as well. And now we're just kind of into a bunch of teams that just moved up a little bit with all the the attrition over the weekend. Ohio State's at 14. They moved up two spots. Uh, another one-loss team. Nebraska is at 13, moving up two spots, a one-loss team. Baylor moves up one spot to 12, another one-loss team. And that brings us to really the, the, the heart of these discussions. The 11th team is Ole Miss. They lose over the weekend to Auburn now. Mississippi has two losses. They fall seven spots. This is the one I thought people were really zeroing in on as far as SEC bias. I think a lot of people were concerned about where Ole Miss was going to fall. Would they fall below Notre Dame? Would they fall behind Notre Dame? Well, they fall behind Notre Dame by just one point or one slot in the rankings. Notre Dame's still at 10. I thought they would move up to nine. However, the committee moved up Arizona State a little bit further than they thought they would. Uh, Arizona State moves up five spots into the ninth, into the number nine spot. Uh, Arizona State was 14th last week. So that pits number 10 versus number nine this weekend when Notre Dame goes to visit Arizona State. Michigan State moves, or Michigan State stays put at number eight. Um, I think we've got all of the arguing uh, out of our system with the Spartans. Uh, they face Ohio State this week, so that's a big opportunity for either the Spartans or Buckeyes to move up in the rankings. Um, the top seven is pretty interesting. I, I thought Kansas State at seven makes sense. Uh, they moved up two spots. They ended up leap, uh, leapfrogging Michigan State, even though Michigan State stayed put at number eight. Uh, K-State goes from number nine to number seven. Um, I didn't agree with uh, Alabama at five and TCU at six. Um, this is one of the things I forgot who, which guy it was on the ESPN um, unveiling of the poll. He was kind of saying the same thing. You know, TCU seems to have a better resume. They got better wins. Uh, Alabama's lone top win right now is West Virginia. West Virginia just lost to TCU. Um, you know, Alabama beat. West Virginia in neutral field. TCU beat them on the road. I don't know why they didn't put TCU at five and Alabama at six. Now, Jeff Long did mention that they've kind of brought in a little bit of who they thought was the better team or who they think is the better team. So I think this is where the subject subjectivity of the, of the poll is really going to start to bother people because 
And, and you know, I, I, can, I can look at it from both sides. I think, you know, you put a gun to my head right now. Do I think Alabama's going to beat TCU? Yeah, I do. So I can see where the where the community's coming from on that, but I'm not sure if at maybe at this point in the polls that it's really um, worth it to do something like that, especially when, you know, TCU's really kind of gone through the meat of their schedule and proven, proven a lot this year, and Alabama's kind of waiting to hit, you know, LSU and Auburn and, and Mississippi State. I mean, Alabama has plenty of opportunity to uh, impress the voters. And I know, you know, technically they're going to be re-ranking every week, but, you know, I didn't really see a need to put Alabama above TCU. I actually, if you looked at my, my poll from my Navy review, I think I had Alabama falling three spots just because I thought, you know, TCU and Kansas State and, and teams like that have proven a little bit more and uh, did some nice things over the weekend while Alabama was on their bye. Now, I, that's not to say that every time somebody wins a game uh, that they should jump over someone who was on their bye, but, I mean, TCU beat West Virginia. Uh, so, I don't know, maybe they were looking at that game and thinking, well, Alabama won by 10 and TCU barely won and had a bunch of turnovers and West Virginia should have won, but whatever. Um, the top four is pretty much what everyone thought it was going to be. Uh, number four is Oregon. Number three, Auburn. Florida State at two, and Mississippi State holds on to their number one ranking. So that's the college football poll, the second week of it. Lots of good stuff in there. Um, I kind of like this stuff. I was looking at the kind of who the next teams in would be outside of the top 25. Um, I was just looking at records, really, and I kind of was trying to look at who they've beaten. And um, Got a handful of teams, Miami, Iowa, Minnesota, Missouri, Colorado State, USC, Florida, and Texas A&M are kind of the – most of those teams have three losses right now. And I know it sounds crazy, especially with a team like Florida and, and maybe even A&M as well, who's been blown out a couple times. But, uh, you know, like I was saying earlier, we, we tend to see a team lose two or three games – and then we just write them off. And, oh, they're terrible. Oh, my God. They've lost two games in a row. They are so terrible. And then, you know, we don't really do that with our own team. But with other teams, they're so terrible. But then we kind of forget that there's five games left in the season. And, and these teams can have ups and downs and, and play well one week and, and play terrible the next week. So, I mean, that's kind of just the essence of college football. I mean, I don't really think that Notre Dame was a, a terrible team last year losing four games. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see how those teams kind of how they do down the stretch here. Missouri is in the driver's seat in the SEC East and isn't even ranked in the in the college football poll. They only have two losses, but man, that one loss to Indiana was really bad. So I, I, that's definitely taking a toll on them. You know, Minnesota, Iowa, I don't think are really can ever crack into the top 25. Miami's an interesting one. They don't really have any big wins on their resume yet, but it's not like the ACC is exactly murderer's row or, you know, they don't have the talent to, to finish strong down the stretch. Uh, just pulling up their schedule here. They're 6-3. They're and three. You know, they got Florida State coming up. 
in a couple of weeks. I just read something on Twitter that they're going to be favored in that game. It doesn't make any sense at all. But after that game, they have Virginia and Pittsburgh. So, yeah, Miami's probably going to finish 8-4. and four. That's probably not going to get the job done. Colorado State's an interesting one. I saw one of the national sports writers on Twitter mention them. Uh, I don't know why people are talking more about Jim McElwain as you know, the hottest coach in college football right now. Uh, if I was Michigan, I would probably be making a phone call to him right now. Uh, the Rams are 8-1 and one this year. They lost at Boise State. Uh, that's a close loss, only by 13. They did, they did beat Colorado. They've beaten Boston College. Um, you know, Wyoming's a semi-competent team. They beat them. They're probably going to finish 11-1. and one. They're going to beat Hawaii, I would imagine, New Mexico and Air Force. So, you know, we talked about East Carolina. They were at 23 last week in the poll. They lost to Bob Diaco. Congratulations to Bob Diaco on his first win. Um, with East, East Carolina falling out, um, you know, we don't really have – any of those smaller programs sticking around? Uh, Marshall, I believe. Did Marshall lose over the weekend? Let me pull that up. I thought they were oh, – they weren't even ranked last week. That's what – I was looking at the last week's rankings, and I didn't see them. And I remember the big hoopla was that they're just – their schedule's so terrible that they don't even deserve to be in there, which, you know, I, I, I fully agree with that. I, I've always been a proponent of shrinking Division One college football. You know, you look at Marshall's schedule, Miami of Ohio, Rhode Island, Ohio, Akron, Old Dominion, Middle Tennessee State, Florida International, and Florida Atlantic. They're 8-0 with that schedule. They've blown out every team, but, you know, that's basically like playing double-A ball compared to the major leagues of the Power Five conferences. So, um you know, this college football stuff or the college football poll is uh, is interesting. I, I like it a whole lot better than the PCS system. And, uh, you know, Brian Kelly brought up in his press conference today something to the effect of, you know, Notre Dame's not getting any credit for 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 not playing FCS teams and other teams have two two buys or two, three buys, and Notre Dame doesn't have any of that. Um and there's been a lot of complaining on our site, uh, you know, kind of voicing similar uh, a similar uh, reaction to the college football playoff poll, you know, saying, well, they don't care about the bottom of this uh, bottom of the schedules and stuff like that. Now today, Jeff Long, the, the committee chairman, did come out and say that they don't take into effect um, a team's a team that or a program that tried to schedule strong, which is kind of what people were saying when they were doing well. We tried to have a strong schedule, and everyone thought this was one of the strongest schedules in the country before the preseason, and it's not really our fault that the schedule hasn't panned out that way. Now, I can kind of see where people are coming from with that, but if I was a committee member, I would have a tough time with that because, you know, once you start walking down that road, it gets really slippery because, you know, some programs can get really tricky with stuff like that. Like if that was, if they came out and said that that was like, that was like worth bonus points. So they were taking that into consideration. I would be scheduling Texas right now. 
and it just so happens that Notre Dame has Texas to open the season next year. And, you know, people say, well, Texas is a name bank, a name brand program, a, a blue chip program, one of the best teams in, the, you know, in history, stuff like that. But, you know, you look at it in 2014, 2015, not really a good college football team. And, you know, unless they make tremendous strides over the off season, they're probably not going to be a very good team next year either. So, and, you know, I think a lot of teams, and I, I know there's programs out there and ADs that are really uh, adept at doing stuff like this. You know, they'll see kind of like a middle-of-the-road team in a Power 5 conference, kind of like, I don't know, let, let's just say for hypothetical reasoning, uh, a team like Indiana goes like 7-5 and five this year, and then, you know, you say, oh, oh let's schedule Indiana two years from now. So you get a home and home with Indiana and they say, well, they were good when we scheduled it. We thought they were going to be a rising program. And, uh, you know, it's just too bad that two years later they, they sunk back to their normal levels. And then people will be like, well, you know, we, we scheduled Texas and they're a name brand program, but that'll just be countered with, well, when you scheduled them, they weren't very good. And it just so happens that they're still not very good. So does Notre Dame really deserve credit for that? I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a tough, tough argument to make. I think, you know, it's just kind of a fact of life right now in, in college football. Uh, you know, Notre Dame's not in a conference. They can't really afford to play FCS teams. Um, you know, we have to play a tougher schedule. We have to schedule a little bit tougher. But we can't just, you know, look at these, these polls and, and say, oh, well, we tried our best – you know, things have to come together. That's just the way it is. got to hope that Michigan doesn't crap the bed and Stanford doesn't have four losses in early November. And, you know, you need some of those middle-of-the-road teams to not have five and six losses. So, I mean, it, I'm, I'm as shocked as anyone that this schedule has really just fallen apart at the seams. I mean, we're going to have some tough teams here to finish out the season. Hopefully, you know, Arizona State can take care of business after this weekend. Um, you know, cross your fingers, Notre Dame that wins that game. But after that, you would hope Arizona takes care of business. Hopefully USC kind of runs, has a good run uh, to the, the, the regular season finale. I think Louisville is going to be a, a pretty solid uh, matchup. Um, so, but as, as far as looking at the, uh, the rest of the schedule before, before the end of it, I mean, I mean, it's bad. This is probably one of the worst schedules I think Notre Dame's faced to this point. You know, I, I don't even know if you go prior to the to the Charlie Weiss era. I mean, look at some of those uh, early Weiss schedules. They were pretty easy. I was talking behind the scenes with some of our writers, and I'm just like, man, this is. Well, let's just hope that this season's better than 2005. That's kind of where, you know, I, I think maybe someone thinks that that's kind of crazy to think that way. But you know, that year Notre Dame. Played USC and had a tough loss, kind of similar to the Florida State game this year. But that year, they really didn't play anyone else that was good. I mean, Michigan was ranked highly, but they ended up not being ranked at the end of the season. Uh, they lost that to a five and six Michigan team, Michigan State team, I think it was, and on double overtime early in the season. Um, you know, hopefully Notre Dame doesn't have a game like that. You know, hopefully they don't lose to Northwestern or something like that. If they don't, I think you'd be like, okay, this is better than 2005. Um, we've beat a couple good teams down the stretch here. 
you know, it wasn't a very dema- uh, overly demanding schedule for Notre Dame standards, but, you know, we still went 11 and one or 10 and two and, you know, got ourselves into a big bowl game and hopefully they win that bowl game. So I guess that'll about do it for the uh, college football bowl, poll playoff talks. I want to keep saying bowl there. Um, the big thing out of that Navy game is going to be the Joe Schmidt injury, um, losing the middle linebacker, the quarterback, the defense. That's going to be rough. Um, that's just, that's, I think, I don't want to say, I want to be all doom and gloom and say, you know, the season's going to be lost and the defense is going to just fall off a cliff now. But I think it's going to be really tough for the defense um, moving forward to uh, to replace Joe Schmidt. Who didn't think anyone would be saying that, uh, you know, during the preseason. That would be pretty crazy. We were all freaking out that he was going to be starting in the first place. But Joe Schmidt, broken ankle, uh, done for the year. Brian Kelly expects him back next year. So you can pretty much add him to the guaranteed fifth-year list. Uh, the only other news, really, since our last podcast, major news, I guess, would be Tavon Coney committing, kind of finishing up the the linebacking core. Gives Notre Dame three really good linebackers, uh, Asmar Bilal and Josh Brahas being the other two. Probably one of the best uh, linebacking halls, gosh, probably at least since I've been covering Notre Dame um, and probably going back even further than that, you know, maybe to the – early part of the uh, of this century. So uh, I'm very excited to see those three linebackers play. And um, I'll have a preview of Arizona State. It's going to be a little bit longer than usual. It's a big game. I like to pour a little bit more time and effort into the bigger games, and I hope everyone enjoys that. Um, I think it's going to be a close game, a fun game. I think Arizona State's uh, desert uniforms are, are really ugly. And I'm really, as a uniform kind of sewer, I was thinking about this uh, driving home from work today. Uh, you know, Notre Dame's going to be in white, obviously. And uh, these uniforms that Arizona State's going to be wearing are kind of like a a lighter gray. I mean, if you remember the Syracuse game, Syracuse had gray on, but it was a little bit more of a darker gray. And uh, these uniforms from Arizona State look a little bit lighter, and then they have kind of a – their numbers are, are white with – kind of like fades into like a copper color and their helmets kind of look like almost like, like egg colored and there's a little bit of copper on them. And I think, I don't know if it's going to happen or not. Cause it kind of, it's hard to tell what like the sunlight's going to do to the uniforms. Uh, and then like what the, the lights will do once they're turned on. I don't, I don't think the lights will be turned on cause it'll be early game in Arizona, but I'm kind of afraid that this is going to be one of those games where the uniforms aren't contrasting enough. So just keep that in mind as you're watching. I thought it's going to be one of those instances where I think Notre Dame's blue on their numbers and like their blue socks and stuff like that are really going to be make them kind of look like the home team a little bit. Um, and, you know, even, even Notre Dame's pants are probably, you know, a little bit darker than that gray that Arizona State's wearing. So I wonder if that's going to cause any problems for uh, the quarterbacks or anything kind of blurring things together. So just one of my weird observations that I think about because uh, I think about uniforms all the time. So that's going to wrap up our 43rd episode of the One Foot Down podcast. Hopefully Notre Dame gets a big win over Arizona State. They'll jump up in the college football poll. And then uh, we'll be talking about some bigger and better things uh, next week. I'm Eric Murtaugh, and I'll see you later.